today on CityCast Salt Lake. At age 61, U of U professor Herda Saunders was diagnosed with early-onset dementia. In the past decade, she's been vocal about her experience, documenting the highs and lows of the illness she calls Doña Quixote in her blog and in the filming of a documentary which is set to be released next week on PBS Utah. I got a sneak peek of the film and today have the privilege of talking with filmmaker Kelsey Moore and Herda herself. It's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Kelsey and Herda, thank you so much for being with me on CityCast Salt Lake. I'm really excited to chat with you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I love your work. I'm honored to be part of it. Well, and I'm honored to be in your beautiful home. Thanks for opening up this space for us to talk. This film is so intimate. And I do feel like this is our first time meeting, but after watching the movie, I feel like I know you and Peter personally. Like, I feel very connected to you. And I wonder, how did you decide to open up your life to this movie? I used to be very shy, but I think dementia breaks down your sense of boundaries. I still rationally know, I think, when I cross a traditional boundary. But if it stands in the way of me telling what my real experiences are, I am willing to cross that boundary. And I feel it's very important for me, just as a member of my family, to to demonstrate what I've always taught my children, that life and death are such a continuity and losing part of your your capability of or functions of your body is such a reality of getting older that our culture's um, tendency to deny it mm. is something I wanted to teach my kids to not fall for. And I'm doing it for them But I'm also doing it for all the people who have dementia and who do not know that you can talk about these things. I cannot tell you how many people walk up to me and tell me their deep, deep stories and said, I've never spoken to someone about this. I just always hope they're now going to go back and speak to someone in their lives about it. Mm. And that's, that's why I'm willing to to sort of let it all hang out. (laughs) And you do, you really do. Um, The movie is so tender. And I think one of the reasons for that, that I wasn't expecting going into it, is that it's a love story. Were you always planning to film it as a love story, you two? Or did that just happen? Honestly, you hang out with these guys for two seconds and you witness the most beautiful love story ever, honestly. So... (laughs) I mean, ultimately, it's their love that brings them together, that helps them get by day by day. Mm-hmm. No matter when we filmed, that came across. One of the sources of absolute joy for me in this film, and it seems like for you, Herda, is fashion. <laughs> the clothing, like the, your style, your earrings, your outfits are amazing and clearly a source of joy for you. One of the things you say in this movie is that clothing is one of the core expressions that we have available. What is the role of your style in your story? I have always 
dressed in the best ways that I could. You know, my mother made all our clothes until I was, I had my first bought dress when I was about uh, 11 or so. I got it from a cousin who lived in town and we lived on a farm. And it was such a beautiful thing to me and such an amazing thing that you could actually buy a dress. Like, I mean, I knew you could, but mm-hmm. I never knew that I would own one. Right. And uh, I never had money to play with fashion um, in any sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. But I, my mother taught us to sew and we had to sew our own school clothes and everything, which was a uniform. And I sewed, especially when I got to university, I just didn't have clothes, you know, for that world. And we had dances and things. And I would buy some fabric and make myself something. Um, But I've only really come into really exploring fashion and styles and designers in since I was retired. Because for the first time in my life, I had time. And since I can't write anymore, it's become a source of creativity for me, mm. replacing something very important that's that's become less uh, possible for me. And Kelsey, I'm sure very fun to film. Her is always fun to film, but yeah, that scene in the film where she like can't find her shoes <laughs> is one of my favorites. I mean, it, it was so hard to find moments where she calls it when she's dementing mm-hmm. um, because she obviously can speak so wonderfully about that experience of forgetting things but to see it it's harder to see it Mm -hmm. she can describe that experience because it is such an inner thing happening in her mind and her body but um to witness it to see it externally Mm -hmm. is actually very difficult I found and so it was one of the few opportunities actually I feel like in the last six years where it was plainly obvious that perhaps she was dementing Um, It was actually quite hard to show that in the film. Yeah. But what I have to say is what is the hardest is that I need Peter's help all the time. And that that is the hardest thing to know that you're causing other people difficulty. Mm. So one thing that will stop me, sometimes I ask people to carry my coffee for me or to, if I could just hold their arm in the parking lot, because if I'm in a smaller space and I have reference objects around me like in a house I can I can walk straight and everything but in a parking lot where there's a huge space I need to hold someone's arm and I ask people may I hold your arm rather than falling down or Mm -hmm. causing further trouble so my demands on other people um, it's it's very people say humbling but humbling is to me a nice thing that you sort of realize how well what a small part of the world you are and how you much you need other human beings but to see your need exhausting another human being right next to you every day it's just um, it's not humbling it's just sad Mm -hmm. to me yeah what is the role that salt lake city has played in your life and in this journey for you i'm it's what i'm hearing from you is that community care is really important part of just your day-to-day. Yes. We moved quite a bit because we didn't know the area when we came here from South Africa. And we just, you know, first time we picked a house that we could afford with mm-hmm. all the money we brought from South Africa. Mm-hmm. So it was there. I had really good friends in the neighborhood. 
where we live, this is so amazing about Salt Lake City because of this, the hiking paths, mm. because a hiking path that comes all the way from the Jordan River and makes its way up here and just goes past our apartment building and then under the busy street to Sugar House Park. Mm -hmm. And if I just stay on that walking path, I cannot get lost. I mean, if I don't know where I am, if I just keep going on circles, I'll get back to, <laughs> around the park and back to where I go under the yeah. tunnel and come back home. Uh, and that is so wonderful to me that our city cares about facilities like that. Mm -hmm. It's given me such freedom now. Uh, yeah. that I can't know where I am all that time. Kelsey, are there moments that didn't make the edit of this film? Is there any particular moment or story or snapshot <laughs> that didn't make it that you'd want to share? One of my favorite scenes that is in the film is when Herda and Peter are at the bookstore talking to each other about her end-of-life plans mm -hmm. and talking about it candidly and frankly as they do and so lovingly. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there's things that didn't make it in the film, it's that whole conversation that mm -hmm. they did for an hour and a half because it's just the most tender, honest and vulnerable thing. Honestly, I've probably ever witnessed to, to see them do that for each other, the way that mm -hmm. they treat each other, speaking of a wonderful love story, right? Yeah, honestly. The idea of a planned death, of a dignified death, it does feel has become more conversational in recent <clears throat> years. It's conversations that we're having, I think, more comfortably in our community. Do you want to talk about how you came to that decision, Herda, and sort of that process for you? I've always been practical in the sense that, you know, for me it's an easy decision to say if I'm in an accident where I can't, where I won't have any brain power afterwards, it's mm -hmm. it's not even a question for me to switch off the, the machines that are mm -hmm. keeping me alive. But toward a more active step, it's an aesthetic issue for me mm. to die beautifully. Mm. And just as you want to live beautifully, and in the sense of Plato's, you know, what is a good life, and good life is, is in beauty. Mm. And to me, if one can think of the connection between your life and your death like that, that's what I spoke to our we spoke to our children about since they were young if somebody died we spoke about it and you know that it's not an easy experience for many people and one wished that people watching would not have to suffer so much mm -hmm. even before i got dementia i always thought i would like to leave this world when it's clear to me that i'm not making uh, a positive contribution in the ways that have always been important to me in my life to me it's part of a family I mean how do we think about the birth of a child everybody's into it mm -hmm. everybody loves it everybody plans and why would you not do the same for the end of your life mm -hmm. I, I think once you joyously approach it and with honesty and with your family what I learned from this movie is the the joy the through line is the love story, but it's also the joy. Like there are just so many moments of joy as a sort of as an armor for a lot of the sadness. And in that way, it's it's a joy to watch and to witness. I am such a lucky person in 
having been born with a good working brain, I was born in apartheid South Africa and I had the opportunity to a good education because I was a white person and at the expense of people who were not white people. Mm. And for me not to have taken those opportunities and then did what I could with uh, what what I was given as a gift from the universe. And it is not a terrible thing for me that my brain is now going. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrible in many ways, but it seems it's an evening out of cosmic justice. Mm-hmm. I've had my life's worth in love and in the ability to use my brain one thing I really want to say is brain power is not the most important thing for me whatsoever. It It is whether you can gear that toward living in a community and toward loving, loving big. The, the joy that I get in my children and grandchildren is such an incredible thing and I that love can go on for a long time still for me mm-hmm. without me having the ability to to speak so well or to do many of the other things that, that I can't do anymore. The question I have for you, Kelsey, is how do you edit someone else's life? The movie's only an hour. You've been filming for years. That's a really powerful position to be in and requires a lot of trust. Yeah, it's it's impossible to put someone completely into a film. I mean, there's so much that's not in it that I feel self-conscious of that I'm not representing you right. I think what we stuck to was some sort of emotional truth throughout it that I do think is accurate to Herda and her family. I want to say just one comment on the film. One of my grandchildren, I was sitting with the three of them when watching the film, and halfway through, one of them said, Oh, we even in this film? <laughs> that, that's my biggest critique of the film is, why aren't every scene filled with my grandchildren and my children? Thank you both so much for chatting with me and for your time. We are so lucky to have you in this community and to be your neighbors and your friends. And thanks for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ali. Thanks for having us. Herda and Kelsey's documentary, The Herda That Remains, will premiere on Thursday, February 17th at 7 p.m. on PBS Utah. I encourage you to tune in or stream it. One more thing before we go. In this show, Herda shares with me her considerations for a planned death in the face of a terminal illness. And there's a bill at the legislature right now that would support patients in a similar situation. On January 21st, Representative Jennifer Daly Provost introduced HB 74, the End of Life Options Act. The legislation would allow doctors to prescribe life-ending drugs when a terminally ill patient makes a clear, written request to end their life. The bill is expected to get a legislative hearing, but as of right now, we don't know when. According to the nonprofit advocacy organization Compassion and Choices, 60% of Utahns believe that terminally ill patients deserve to hold this decision. <music> 
That's our show today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening and for being good neighbors. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.